Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, where this podcast is recorded. Today, I am going to be talking about science funding in Australia, in light of it being drastically cut under the current government. Science funding, research and development really should be protected by legislation to have a continued sufficient funding stream, regardless of politics. It is how we make new discoveries in medicine, technology, agriculture, energy, and many other areas that widely benefit the country and the world. When cuts are made to science, we lose innovation. To put it short, nobody wins. I'm going to be taking a look at the cuts made recently to the scientific community in Australia, compare our funding to the rest of the world and look at the negative impacts this has had and will continue to have on the economy and society at large. So since the Liberal National Party, commonly known as the Coalition, and not liberal in a philosophical sense, but liberal in a political sense, came to power in 2013, science funding has pretty much been under attack. In 2014 to 15, under the leadership of Tony Abbott, government funding for research and development reached its lowest point ever in recorded history to just half a percent of GDP. This has been not only maintained during their term, but continues to drop also in the private sector. Overall, in 2018, so including both public and private funding streams, science research and development was equal to just 1.88% of GDP. Half a percent of this was government, compared to the OECD average of 2.36%. So Australia is not even coming close to doing enough. In dollar terms, university research block grants are to be slashed by $328.5 million dollars, more or less on par with the Canadian dollar, over the next four years. This is double what universities across the country were expecting and means less money to pay research faculty staff and PhD students. This not only jeopardises Australia's position as a leader in world research and our capacity to make new beneficial innovations, but also risks the quality of higher education if no one is around to actually teach not just a new subject, but what they are learning and discovering on a day-to-day basis. To put it briefly, there will be no new opportunities for existing and upcoming scientists in the country and internationally for those who want to travel to do research in Australia. Now, while the government will provide $1.9 billion in total for research grants, sure, a high-ish number, The point is that we have the capacity to spend more and should do so in line with what other OECD countries are doing, remembering that we are part of this group, so it's a good comparison for what we're able to do compared to other nations similar to our own. It is the proportion of GDP that this funding makes up that highlights its insufficiency and the short-sightedness of the current government, who are more focused on cutting taxes and reaching a surplus than investing in and improving the economy. Something which science research absolutely helps to achieve. It is estimated that on average, government investment in science research and development pays a 20% return on investment per year. 
So for every $1, about $1.20 is made back in other areas. And this is just an average. Some investments will, of course, result in a net loss. Much like some investments you make in the stock market will result in a net loss. While others in the science business report I have used here give a 14,000% return. And it all depends on the type of technology, the program itself, and how the impact is measured. If you remember from my episodes on the middle class, how economic impacts are measured will vary from study to study, and so can deliver different results. I won't be getting too much into that though. On average, the return for investment in science is 20% per year. Compared to what you get off your savings or even your stock portfolio, this is exceptionally high and a great use of public funds. Even politically speaking, three quarters of the Australian public want to see more money spent on R&D than we currently do. So it's really weird that they're not listening to the public and that they're taking this approach. Let's give the public credit where credit is due. We feel this way because the data speaks for itself and we do have a pretty impressive portfolio of important inventions out of the country that have changed the world. I want to give a quick list of six that almost everyone will have heard out and just sort of stood out to me for this episode. There is the black box flight recorder, something that records flights and can be recovered in the case of an accident that has made air travel safer and more efficient. Wi-Fi. How did you access this podcast? How do you do anything today? Wi-Fi and the internet is a utility. Cervical cancer vaccine. Now, this is something that I was lucky enough to receive in school in 2004. Women get tested for cervical cancer and other abnormalities by getting a pap smear, where a swab is taken from the cervix for testing. Before this vaccine, women in Australia were advised to get a pap smear every two years. But now, the majority of children my age would have received this in school and continue to do so. It's now advised to get a pap smear every five years because this vaccination has drastically decreased the rate of cervical cancer in the country. I could probably do an entire episode about how amazing this is and how life-changing this can be for women across the world. Spray on skin. Something developed by Dr. Fiona Wood in the 1990s when scientific R&D funding was actually at one of its highest points under a Labor government, of course. Spray on skin is what it sounds like. Skin cells that spray on the affected area instead of a traditional skin graft, which is a more invasive procedure and more difficult to develop. I personally know two people who have spray on skin from burns as a child, which has given them mobility that they may have otherwise gone without. The bionic ear. We as people communicate through the audio medium so much, whether that is watching TV, listening to the radio, or having a conversation, Sound is all around us, and the bionic ear gives people who have lost their ability to hear the chance to regain it. And lastly, something I thought was pretty cool is the Fraxia lens, which allows the subject and the background in a shot to both be clear. I'm no film buff, but just from watching older and newer movies, it is clear to see what this has done for the film and photography art form and the ability to capture more space, more images, light, ambience, and emotions in a shot. And there are so many more. If you just Google it, you might actually be surprised that what you find has had such wide-reaching impacts like the ones I just talked about. So 
thinking now of the cuts that have happened alongside the innovation that Australian scientists have achieved, what will be some of the broader impacts? Well, since 2013, the coalition have cut this funding by $3 billion. It's not just the $300 million that I mentioned above. This has been going on for a long time and has left thousands of scientists without any job prospects in the country. So they have moved to places like China, who continue to raise their science funding levels, taking with them their brain power, their skills and knowledge that was essentially funded through the university system by taxpayers who will no longer reap the benefits. So if you think of it from the beginning, an Australian citizen goes to university to earn a science degree by getting a zero interest loan from the government because education is good for society. They then continue on in the academic world, earning a master's, a PhD, and working on groundbreaking research in energy, agriculture, and medicine, worth millions and millions of dollars in profits once it's able to be sold, plus the benefits of whatever they are coming up with, like vaccinations, for example, to the public. Since all of the funding that once supported this level of academia and innovation has essentially disappeared to its lowest point in history, of course they will move to a country where they can get a job. It's like art. Just because someone enjoys doing something, just because you might be a passionate scientist, doesn't mean you shouldn't get paid for it. So decades of public investment is exported overseas, but the benefits are not being brought back into Australia to be enjoyed by those who funded it. Similarly, because Australia has not been lifting its weight in the international science community, other countries who have been meeting or exceeding the OECD investment average are no longer interested in working with us and aren't willing to just share their knowledge with us when we ask to return to projects. This is generally done through publicly funded cooperative research centres, which since 2013 have lost $118 million. On a personal level, I don't agree with just blocking someone out of a project but diplomatically, it makes sense that a country would be protective of its hard-earned scientific advances, its intellectual property, if the other country hasn't been contributing in a significant way. Unfortunately, the coalition were re-elected this year, and the downward trend continues. I can't see anything changing in the near future, which will continue to damage the present as well as the long term. Cutting science R&D is just counterintuitive to improving the quality of a nation. And the media is pretty silent on the matter. Can you imagine what the reaction would be if a single budget announcement included cuts that would remove thousands of mining jobs? There would be an uproar. I mean, we're seeing it now with the continued push by the government to build a massive coal mine under the guise of job creation despite the fact that building a massive coal mine is a really, really bad idea. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just look up Adani, A-D-A-N-I. It is no coincidence that this isn't being discussed in the mainstream media more. I think this topic somewhat ties in well with my last episode about reproductive rights and specifically funding for sexual health and family planning. Like these things, science provides many wide-ranging benefits to society. The government should invest in things that will improve the economy and quality of life. Under the science R&D umbrella, things like new medicines and medical practices, renewable energy, safe water technology, bushfire prevention, utilities access, sustainable food systems, and of course more. 
It is very disappointing and let's be honest, alarming to see what is happening to the science industry in Australia. Sure, it is being picked up in other countries and the research is still happening, but it won't be enjoyed by the Australian public. In short, the coalition do not care about the public. Their policies are short-sighted, damaging, and aim to benefit a handful of people in big business at the cost of education, health, and the environment. So that brings me to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow the show on Twitter at Every Economics or find me at Talia Murdoch. If you want to support the show or the network at large, please leave us a review on iTunes. It would be so, so appreciated. Otherwise, you can find us on patreon.com slash cavegoblins where we will be posting more bonus audio content soon. We have a really fun plan set out for that. Thank you as always for listening. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favourite comedians talking about their favourite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.